welcome to another episode of the Motown Megacast. I'm here with Ryan, and welcome back to the podcast, Paul. He's back. We missed you, buddy. We missed him. He didn't listen to the episode, so, you know, my heart hurts a bit. But it's okay, Paul. I respect it. Um, because of Detroit sports currently where they are, I, d- I don't blame you at all. It's, it's hard for me to watch a game, let alone listen to people talk about it sometimes. Um, so let's just get right into Red Wings talk. We're, what we're going to do for this episode, just so just so people are aware as they're listening, um, we're still going to talk about the Pistons, the Red Wings, and the Tigers, uh, but the focus is definitely going to be the draft. With the draft this upcoming Thursday, uh, the Lions picking at 7, that's where a lot of our discussion is going to lie. So we're going to go relatively quick over all of the teams, and um, for a couple of the teams, that's a pretty good thing. Um, so I'll go ahead and start with the Red Wings first. Uh, this week was all about the Stars uh, and the Red Wings. They had a four-game four series. Um, first couple of games were kind of washes. Um, they lost the first one in a shootout. It wasn't very great. The only the only like thing of note that came out of that one was that um, Jeff Blashill decided to have Philip Hronick, uh take the fifth shootout. Uh, which is a joke because you have Philip Zadina and other significantly more talented wingers sitting in in your roster, and you decide to go with a defenseman. Ultimately, that's a move that just doesn't matter, though. It's against the Stars you're losing. I mean, at this point, you're looking for draft stock anyways. Um, next game, they kind of got manhandled. They lost 5-2. to two. This is a Dallas team that's desperate. Um, they're just vying for that last playoff spot with Nashville. Um, and then the third game was actually really fun. We saw Jacob Vrana, obviously, uh, the Mantha trade, big controversy there. Uh, Mantha's been doing great over with the Capitals. He has four goals in four games. Um, Jacob was doing pretty good over here. He wasn't He wasn't doing anything. He wasn't pulling anyone out of the water necessarily, but he was being quietly good, and then he just, he just, he decided to have the breakout game, essentially. He had four goals, and that's four natural goals. I mean, they're... You didn't get, like, an empty netter. You didn't get a greasy. These were all goal scorers goals. He sniped a few. He got on the break. The, the more this trade, the more we distance ourselves from the trade, the more it seems like the Red Wings really did win it. Um, I hate saying that, too, because I don't think there necessarily have to be winners and losers. If the Capitals end up winning uh, the Stanley Cup, off of Mantha's back, if Mantha is a part of that, they will ultimately see this trade as a win, even if they lose a great player like Jacob Verana, because their their window is closing, and if you end up getting another cup in that time, there's almost nothing else matters. Even if you gave up a couple, even if you gave up a little too much. So I think this is one of the rare cases where it's a win-win. But man, I, it's hard for me to say that it's it's hard for me to lie and say that the Red Wings don't look like the better winner here. Um, Jacob Verana. Four goal game looked fantastic doing it. Looks like a goal scorer. Looks like what Mantha was at his best, except he's doing it more consistently. Obviously, small sample size. We need to see a little bit more to you know to verify that. But it's great to see nonetheless, especially in a season like this. We're winding down. There's not much to watch. Uh, you're watching games for development, and that's exactly what we didn't see actually. The following game, they decided to give a seven three performance to a two one bashing. The the score indicates a close, tight-fought game between two inter-division rivals. It's not what happened at all. Jonathan Bernier had 50 saves. He got shot at 52 times. 
he was obviously the number one star of the game. But, man, this, this was just an absolute joke. It was comical at points. At one point in the game, um, the Red Wings were outshot 30-3 to in the second period. Um, and they were still leading. That's why I love hockey, I guess. Um, they were they had to lead one nothing while they were being outshot thirty to three and getting played outplayed in every facet of the game. Um, poor Jonathan Bernier, um, he's going to be a UFA at the end of the season. So if Eisenman wants to bring him back, he's going to have to I think pull out the checkbook. At this point, he's looking. He's been the guy who's kept us in so many games because if you look at the stat sheet and you see fifty two shots to twenty some to seventeen. 52 shots to 17, you imagine a score of 6-1. to one. The fact that it's 2-1 to one just speaks to how strong Bernier's been this season. Yeah, he's had his lapses. He had that 7-goal stinker. He's had times where, you know, he stepped a little down. But overall, he he needs to be brought back next season. Uh, with the amount of cap space that Eisman has to play with, I imagine that's not going to be a problem. But it's certainly something to be keeping an eye on. I, I would imagine he gets re-signed. Um, and then, unfortunately, during this series, we saw some injuries. Um, Jamie Ben, um, a piece of garbage, um, uh, cross-checked Larkin in the back of the head, and he's out for the season. Now, I, I don't think this is solely um, what's keeping him out. He had a couple of lagging injuries. He hasn't looked himself all season. He sat out a couple of games. And at this point in the season, I don't think it's a bad idea to just sit him. Um, season's dead. We're looking for development at this point. I don't think there's a point in having, like, the guy, the heart and soul of your team, go out there and break his back every day. I think Jamie Ben was just the straw that b- broke the camel's back, proverbially. proverbially. Um, I think that was just what did Larkin in. So we're not going to see him the rest of the season. We're not going to see um, oh, Franz Nielsen the rest of the season. With a limited amount of games left, it looks like Bertuzzi is also going to miss the rest of the season. So I, it it's hard. It, it's hard to be a fan and watch you know, watch the remaining games right now with your captain out, with some death players out. But if you're a Red Wings fan, I just I just tell you to watch because we're going to see some of those younger guys fill those gaps. So that's all the Red Wings news I have for the week. Again, not much. Um, as the season wind down, and I'm pretty sure it's actually similar with the Pistons. Am I right there, Ryan? Yeah. Yeah, I don't have a whole lot to talk about um, in part because I really want to talk about the draft. <laughs> But, but yeah, honestly, on the, on the Pistons front, there really isn't a whole lot of news. You know, um, as we've kind of mentioned in the past, we are at that point in the season where there there's not a whole lot going on. Like, Pistons don't really have playoff hopes right now. Um, we're obviously past the trade deadline. So, right now, it's <laughs> we're kind of just coasting, kind of just watching this team and, and looking for development. And so, we'll talk about that a little bit. But, um... But yeah, with that being said, uh, let's get into it. Um, I want to, again, start with kind of just like a Pistons record update. So Pistons are now 18-43. and 43. So they are still the last place team in the Eastern Conference. And they are the third worst team in the NBA. Um, let's see. They are still awfully close to the magic the magic are literally like a half game ahead of them but i don't know i i really do see the magic doing better at the last stretch of the season than the pistons and i don't really want to be the guy that talks about purposeful tanking i guess but i do think that uh Dwayne casey will kind of 
do what he wants or do what he needs to do like within reason to make sure that we don't have a bunch of or we don't start passing other teams kind of if that makes sense yeah and and i'm looking at the magic schedule right now <clears throat> it's it's not an easy stretch um the the easiest team they have is the Cavs and timberwolves so it, it's it's going to be a rough stretch for them so i i yeah they play they play the magic play uh the lakers um the grizzlies uh the pistons again that's an important game to watch um the celtics have been decent of late the hornets bucks so that i'm not a lot of not a lot of easy easy games there for them yeah so so i guess we'll just kind of have to see what happens there um but you know it's it's one of those things where i i don't want to just repeat the same phrases over and over again but like the lottery is a crapshoot so as nice as it would be to get one of those top three or top three worst um records we'll just have to see so so yep so there is your uh pistons record update um i don't know i guess as a fan you can kind of choose if you want to root for them to lose or not um but but yeah we're, we're just gonna have to see um so next i just wanted to talk about uh the young guys the rookies again um so i don't know i guess i'll i'll start with isaiah stewart because i really think that um He's kind of burst onto the scene a little bit in in the last like the most more so than any other any of the other rookies I should say. Um, I think he's shown the most improvement in this kind of like last stretch. Um, he's just been he's been shooting very efficiently. It's really nice to see like how good his, just his touch around the rim is. And and one thing I've noticed when watching him is just how quickly he gets these little shots up. Like, I, he almost never gets blocked. He'll, he'll be in the lane and kind of just, like, flick it up. I don't know. It'll go in. It's, it's really cool to watch because uh, Mason Plumley doesn't do that. <laughs> Mason Plumley doesn't have a quick shot like that, and he'll – I don't know. He, he's still a, a pretty decent post scorer in his own right, but um, they certainly go about it in different ways. So, yeah, um, Isaiah Stewart, uh, whenever he starts, I get so excited – yeah, I love watching that guy uh, just kind of start the game with the the injection of energy that he puts into the team, and um, I I don't really see him being the the starter at all this year if Mason Plumley is still in the roster, still on the roster, but um, I think next year is when we're gonna see him really uh, grasp that starting role, I guess. Um, Sadiq Bey, um, I just really quickly wanted to talk about um, some things I've been seeing from him. And and the biggest one is kind of his aggression uh, driving towards the hoop. We saw that. Um, we've seen that a lot more lately. And he's not necessarily shooting efficiently at the rim. But right now, just seeing him, like, I, I don't know, just literally put the ball on the floor and make these aggressive moves to the rim, it's been really just – Something we haven't seen a whole lot from him, and we've seen flashes of it, but I, he's he's a little more aggressive now, uh, attacking the rim. So that really excites me. If he can uh, kind of develop his game into like a three-level scorer, he's already shown that at this point in his career he's solid on defense, and I think he can become definitely a plus on-ball and team defender. Um, I don't know. 
the sky's the limit for this guy. I love him. I love him so much. And um, uh, finally, we'll talk about Killian. I know I said I'll talk about the rookies, but I I don't know. Saban Lee hasn't been getting a whole lot of playing time necessarily, so we'll skip over him. And as for Killian, um, I don't want to say more of the same, but um, I guess we've seen a lot of just basically a lot of the same. Um, Killian has – he's still shown his um, – just his spectacular passes every once in a while. Um, I think one of the biggest things that we're seeing that like doesn't really pop out is just kind of like his, um, I guess he, he just doesn't make a lot of mistakes out on the floor. And that was like one of the biggest knocks against him at the beginning of the season. So that's been really cool to watch. And then his continuing progression on defense. He's, um, he's already, I think, an above average guard defender in the league. And, you know, he's 19 years old. So I can't wait to see. Um, I think if nothing else, his his floor is just a, I don't know, I guess I'll compare him to, like, Alfred Payton. Just a guy who will make plays and and play defense. Um, but, yeah, uh, I, I'm really excited to uh, see what an offseason uh, will do for him. Because we saw, like, just the development uh, – just from his injury to when he started playing. And, you know, for most of that time he was injured. And there was a lot of development there. So I just, I'm really excited to see what uh, this coaching staff can do for him, along with the other rookies. And, you know, Jeremy Grant had some interesting comments uh, recently about um, his time with the 76ers when he was on the, the process, that team. And he was saying that uh, this team feels different. You know, he was saying... Uh, it, it kind of feels like it's less of a process, I guess, and more of like, okay, we're we're putting together a base right now, and then we're gonna get we're gonna get after it in the next few years, and that's very encouraging. And whether or not that'll happen, you know, we'll see. Obviously, I'm not gonna expect them to be contenders next year, and I'm not even necessarily expecting them to make the playoffs or anything next year. I think that'll entirely depend on really the development of of what we have right now, in addition to that uh, draft pick. So, so yeah, I'm really excited to see that. All right, so looks like we're going to be looking forward to uh, when when do you know when um they announce like uh, uh, like how far after the NBA season do they figure out like draft order? Well, the lottery is uh, late June. Late June, I believe. Okay, yes. all right. So that'll be fun to keep an eye on. So now let's roll over to the Tigers, which is going to be the hardest thing to talk about. I'm sorry, Paul. Um. On your episode back, you're going to talk about just the the worst, just the worst team in Detroit right now. I, and that's horrifying to say, but it's just depressing. Like, go ahead and explain it to us, Paul. So, after 12 games, the Tigers were 6-6. Six and six. They were just coming off of a sweep of the Houston Astros on the road, and things weren't looking that bad. In their last 10 games, the Tigers are 1-9. in nine. That's horrible. Not to mention that in this 10-game span, they have scored a total of 18 runs, averaging 1.8 runs a game. But if you take out a 5-run game, the only game they won against the Pirates, and the opening game against the Athletics where they lost 8-4, to four, that's half of those 18 runs. 
In the other eight games, they scored a combined nine runs. They lost all eight of those games. The hitting is disastrous since leaving Houston. I don't know what happened to their hitting after they lost Houston, but it has exploded. It has died. This is the worst offensive base in baseball right now. Not for the entire season, but the last 10 games, I would be shocked if you could find me a worst hitting lineup. The pitching, on the other hand, hasn't looked nearly as bad. Matthew Boyd on Saturday got screwed as the Tigers lost 2-1, to one, giving him a loss. He had a good game. Uh, Spencer Turnbull, finally off of the injury list. He's the only guy who actually has a win with the last 10 games. He had a decent outing. Five innings, one run. That's some optimism there. Casey Mize had his first bad start of the season, giving up six runs in four and two-thirds innings against the Royals on Friday when they lost 6-2. Michael Fulmer is still getting used to the starting rotation, but he's a bright spot. So if you take Fulmer, Mize, Boyd, and Turnbull into consideration and they play at their best potential, the Tigers have a shot of a top half pitching rotation in baseball. The issue is is that their hitting is so bad and so ugly. It's just Akil Badu and Wilson Ramos. That's literally what it is right now. And if you're a Tigers fan, I'm sorry, but they're already seven games out of first place. It's April 25th. They're on pace for 110 losses, which is barely better than what they had a couple seasons ago. I don't know if it was like 115 or 117 losses. And this would be a worse winning percentage than last season. And they were supposed to do better. They're doing worse. So if they don't get something turned around soon, expect Al Vila to get fired by the end of the trade deadline. Yeah, and just to kind of break our hearts more, I pulled up some statistics around the league. Uh, this is something I, I – this is my first time seeing this. I was doing this while Paul was looking. It's rough. It's bad. Um, so in terms of hits, they're bottom five. They're 25th, but that's not horrible. They've got 143 hits. It's not great. 25th in the league is not great. <laughs> um, but they're the third worst team in terms of runs scored. It was 67. And they have the lowest average in the entire MLB. 0.205 average. 0.205 is the team average. Um, something that did give me a little bit of solace uh, looking at this list. Um, both you guys, uh, give your guesses. Who was the second worst in average? Jacoby Jones. No, 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 no. Wilson Ramos. Not in team average. I'm sorry. I need to rephrase that. In, in the league, who was the second worst team in the league in terms of average? Cleveland. Ryan? Uh, well, I was going to say Cleveland, but uh, I'll say Minnesota. The New York Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> Point, and get this, .2506, better than the Tigers. That's that's your Yankees this year. So, the, I mean, that that warms my heart a bit. 
as as a guy who just hates any popular team, that just warms my heart that they're that terrible. Um, but then it just freezes over once I see those averages. I mean, the lowest average in the MLB would point two oh five. I'm not even gonna pull up the team stats like the individual like I did last time because it'll just hurt my heart. Um, seeing as many people who are sub two hundred as there are right now. In fact, I am gonna pull it up because I just want to be sick right now. Uh, Detroit average because. I mean, Jacoby Jones is below 200. I know that. Um, he had a big game recently. I forget which game it was. Uh, that was kind of nice to see. But, yeah, I, I agree. Beyond that, Jacoby Jones is really, like, just not kind of uh, – I don't know. He, he definitely has potential, but he hasn't realized very much of it yet. So. And the thing is, their team average is 205. If you're a playoff contention – if you have anybody in your lineup hitting 205, that's concerning. Yeah, yeah, and I and I, like I I know I said I wasn't gonna pull it up, but here I have it. Um, Nunez 148. Cabrera hasn't played in a while, so I don't want to crap on him too much. But 107. He actually just came back to the lineup today. Oh, he did. Mm-hmm. He did. And um, I believe he struck out three times. G- <laughs> Uh, Grayson Griner, 150. <laughs> oh, Jacoby Jones is 136. That is awful. Victor Reyes has Victor Reyes has had a rough couple of weeks. I think we can all say that he's yeah. at 146 right now. Mm-hmm. He has looked rough. Jonathan Scope, 174. Um, Zach Short started his first game this year. Um, his first MLB game. That was kind of fun. I kind of like to. Uh, Seeing what we did from him, yeah. I mean, he made some plays in the field. He drew some walks. Yeah, you know, I, what more do you want from you know a not in a murky, murky situation? Yeah, a little bit of a bright spot. I'll take it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's hitting only two hundred, but uh, that's better than uh, Miguel Cabrera. So, all right. So that's enough Tigers for now. I think I think we're all satiated with Tigers. Am I right? Yeah. So let's just move on before I become physically ill, and let's get to the main point of the podcast here. Thursday, coming right up, we have the NFL Draft. And your Detroit Lions, in familiar territory, picking in the top 10. We've seen this story before a few times, so what are they going with? Um, Let's introduce this topic with some other rumors around the league. So, Ian Rappaport, um, on Twitter, I believe it was today, right, Ryan? Yep. Uh, he said that the rumor, the official rumor, and it's Rappaport, so that I, I consider this reputable, um, at... Three, San Francisco looks to be going for either Trey Lance or Mac Jones. Yeah, and um, I think we should all just kind of have a collective uh, celebration here. Yeah. yeah, that's fantastic. I, I mean, what more can you say? Like, two guys that I didn't necessarily think were, like, I don't know. Trey Lance was always kind of one of those. He's yeah, a wild card. Yeah, but but... Yeah, guys that weren't necessarily slotted to go before the Lions pick. And and like we've talked about in the past, that's just going to slide back all the other options for us. Yep. It, it, it opens up the options so much when you have, especially if they pick Mac Jones. It just opens up so much. Because no, I, I don't think any team is trading up for Mac Jones. Um, I know they're... Not, not to three. Not, not to three. No, <laughs> no. Um so if Mac Jones goes at three, that's just ideal. Ed, the chips start falling that way. 
um, that opens up the scenario where we get one of those blue chip prospects we talked about last week, you know, a Jamar Chase, a uh, Kyle Pitts, a Panay Sewell. We get one of those blue chip prospects who looks to be an immediate game changer, a guy who's pro ready and shows high upside, which is hard to get in a draft, and that's why they're considered blue chip. Um, and yeah, when you have when you have a team reaching for a quarterback who traded up to get that, may I add? I mean, at first, I was a little nervous because I thought that hurt the chances of the Lions trading back. But at this point, the way it's the way it's kind of the way the uh, the way the dominoes are falling, I guess is the way to put it. It's looking like this is going to help out the Lions in the long run by far. Yeah, absolutely, I agree. Um, so it's it's really going to be interesting to kind of see. Um, I, I I guess for the Lions' sake, what that Falcons pick is going to be, you know, because that that's the news. That. Right. And and I don't know, could could there have been a better draft to have this uh like projected run on quarterbacks for like just in the position that the Lions are in, like it's seeming more and more like just everything's kind of going their way where it, it really does seem like it's gonna be hard to screw up this pick. Yeah, it's it's the perfect storm. Um the way it's developing right now, like it's gonna be hard for the Lions to mess it up. I like you just said, like with the run of quarterbacks that's going at the top they're going to have such a pick of talent. Like, let's say let's say it was more reasonable. And, like, because I think in a normal draft, I think, you know, I think Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson top three are fair. I think we can assume that. But Mac Jones in the top ten, I even question. Trey Lance in the top – Trey Lance is so hard for me to pin down um, because I've heard rumors from both sides. I've heard teams say, you know, I don't want to take the risk. It's kind of like a swing and a miss. It could be – but you could also be missing a generational player. Um so not only is he a hard prospect to analyze, it's hard to analyze where he's going in the draft. Um, but in this year, it seems like he's one of the premier. I mean, he's, he's right behind. I mean, a lot of people currently, because of the way Justin Fields has kind of fell of late, it looks like Trey Lance might be the third best quarterback off the board. And if they pick Mac Jones at third, that means the best quarterback's selling that, oh, maybe, maybe someone trades up to seven. Maybe someone, you know, maybe the Falcons do a little bit of work. Maybe they go with their guy, Trey Lance or Justin Fields. It it just opens up so many scenarios if Mac Jones goes at three. I, I think I might celebrate the most on draft night if they pick Mac Jones at three. I, I think I think I would celebrate a Mac Jones pick more than just about any Lions pick that or that Brad Holmes could make, honestly. <laughs> and Mac Jones is very good news because Miami's considering trading down as well, which may sound like bad news a week ago but if like a kyle pitts benet sewell or jamar chase fall till seven the lions wouldn't have draft bad pick but who wants to trade up to six to get mac jones i'd much rather trade up to six to get trey lance yeah i think that's very fair um the only other team that was so the 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 teams that have been rumored to like be kind of into this mac jones thing um were san francisco and the patriots but I think I think the Patriots were interested. This is just armchair GM right here, armchair league, not coming from an insider. I think he was interested because I think there was a possibility Mac Jones slipped. Uh, I don't think he's interested anymore. I don't think Bill Belichick is going to trade up to get Mac Jones. Um, and I think Paul, you just actually hit it hit it out of the park there. I think that's I, I think you hit it right on the nail on the head. Um, no one's. I don't think anyone's going to trade up to get Mac Jones. Really, I don't think that's a premier prospect. That's that's a kind of guy that he falls to your your spot you need a quarterback so you pick him up he's not the type of guy unless you're like chicago 
who moves up and gets him. You know, he Trey Lance is much more the guy. Because, I mean, he's already a risk. If you're going to take a risk on him, why not maybe increase the risk, push the chips all into him? I could very well see that. Yeah, and honestly, uh, the the Niners situation, or not Niners, sorry, the uh, the Patriots situation that you kind of just uh, went over reminds me a little bit of the Lions situation where right now they don't need to get a quarterback. You know, they're not uh, using extra assets to move up and be sure they get that guy. But, I mean, in, in a league where obviously – a premier quarterback is is almost everything, you know. If if you have a chance to get a guy like without one of those top picks, so obviously, and and a guy that kind of just falls to you, like you don't get those opportunities very often. So so that's kind of like where you could see uh, Mac Jones going to the Patriots in that situation. But you know, to trade up to three for him, uh, either they see something that nobody else does, or or it's the biggest smokescreen ever, and they've fooled every single one I of us. I would love that. I would love it so much if they just went for Justin Fields or someone at three. If they just, if they just, oh, I, I would love it so much. Um, and then I, th- I want to talk about Paul's next point there that he made, um, because he also mentioned the Dolphins pick, and there have been, there's been a lot of smoke there too about them willing to trade down. Um, Miami's kind of a hard team to pin down though. I wouldn't be surprised if they're just saying this. <laughs> it's... I, I tend to trust Miami about the least when it comes to yep. draft rumors. And obviously, like, these rumors aren't necessarily coming, like, from the the GM or the coach himself from Miami. But, like, whenever I hear uh, just rumors centered around Miami, it's always kind of like, all right, I don't know. What, what's the merit to this? I Is, is this just another smokescreen? Because we've seen that in the past. And, and at this point... Um... I like, I if you're the Dolphins, I'd say just stick at six. You're gonna have your pick of some pretty premier talent. Um, they already have a decent offensive line. Mm-hmm. Uh, stacking a Panesul on there only makes it better. Giving Tua Tagovailoa, who you hope is your quarterback of the future, a Kyle Pitts or Jamar Chase. Uh, to me, staying at six is the win-win here, and I'm always a trade back guy. But man, it, it's awful hard to move out of that six spot for them right now. If I'm Miami, I mean, if I could trade down like say seven spots to LA and get a first round pick in say a third round pick plus 13 I'd do it but other than that if Kyle Pitts is there I'm taking him not so much Jamar Chase because they have Devontae Parker and I think Devontae Parker's a pretty good wide receiver he's not like a generational talent or anything but he's a good wide receiver one so only for Kyle Pitts if not or Panacea, if not, then trade down. So that, so that's interesting there. Like, how? Because I didn't, I didn't have the impression that you were super high on Kyle Pitts. To this point, do you, how much better of a prospect do you think Kyle Pitts is than Jamar Chase? It's not that I think he's that much better of a prospect than Jamar Chase. It's Miami's needs. I think they'd be much better getting a great tight end and a great wide receiver so if we're talking lions do you think they should draft kyle let's say let's say panay sewell's off the board and they're stuck at seven do you do you think they should go with kyle pitts or jamar chase because their need is wide receiver but i'd argue that they should go kyle pitts there i'd go jamar chase i mean preferably i go neither and trade down but i go jamar chase just because we don't need hawkinson and pitts it'd be a nice weapon like i i said two weeks ago 
it'd be a distraction to have Pitts out there and then they throw a Hawkinson, but they need a receiver or they need the trade down. Well, thankfully they won't will not be faced with that scenario because there there's not a chance that those two are gonna be available at nope. seven. No, not both of them. No. One or the other is a possibility, but I like the Bengals right now, I, I, the run for Kyle Pitts has been crazy to me lately. Um, I get it because watching the tape, he just looks like a talent. But he's like, there have been rumors that the Cowboys are going to trade up to them, which would be the most Cowboys move in the world. And I would laugh hysterically, go up and grab someone at, at five to, you know, add an already decent offense, ignore the glaring holes all over your defense. That's just the most Cowboys thing in the world. But like, we're starting to get to the point with, um, Kyle Pitts hype where it seems like I I don't even know if there's a chance he falls to the Lions I, and I, I've kind of been honestly like where I'm at right now with what I've read and what I've heard um, I, I honestly I, I would be surprised if either Pitts or Chase is available at 7 yeah because I think I, I mean the Dolphins I, like we were talking about earlier I don't really trust them I think they stick at 6 and even if a team trades up to six, I think it would be to probably grab a chase or a uh, or Pitts. I think Chase and Pitts will be available at seven, not Sewell. But I think Chase and Pitts are going to be available at seven because I see five quarterbacks going in the top six. So, okay, so let me – so your thought process is Lawrence um, – uh, Lawrence Wilson, uh, Jacoby Jones, Mac Jones. Who do you have the Falcons going with them? I have the Falcons and Miami and trading down or the Falcons drafting a QB, having Trey Lance and Justin Fields getting drafted in the top six, and then Panay Sewell going to Cincinnati. Man, I, that just is not according to what rumors I've heard. Yeah, I, with the draft, it's it's so hard to nail down. So that's not like a horrible thing. I could, if there's a year that five quarterbacks go in the top six, it'll be this year. But with the amount of hype we've heard, like it just seems to be trending upwards for people like Jamar Chase and like Kyle Pitts, especially Kyle Pitts. And it seems like things have been kind of cooling on Justin Fields, obviously. And even I've heard kind of cooling on Trey Lance a little bit just because I think people are starting to realize he's he's a hard prospect to pin, pin down. And with a COVID year, with just odd things going on, I don't know if teams are going to be willing to take that swing and a miss. And, okay, Paul, my only thing with, with what you said is, so at some point when you're up at the top of the draft and there is premier talent available, you just take that premier talent, you know? And, and that's, I think... So in in the Falcons case, I think they're gonna do they're gonna fall in love with a prospect because there are gonna be plenty of prospects to fall in love with at four, and I, I think they they stay. I I think it's more likely they trade back than anybody else in the top seven, I guess. But um, or I guess excluding the Lions. But uh um, with Miami, there's a reason that they uh made those two trades you know there's a reason they got back into the top seven yeah because they they they're looking for a target they're looking the, the way that they've accumulated uh draft assets and they've built this roster they're 
they're almost to the point where they're rounding out their roster. And if you can get a guy that a guy of uh, Pitts or Chase like his level, then then you take that because they're kind of at the point where they they don't necessarily need to stockpile draft assets anymore. They're kind yep. of rounding out and and getting that. Uh, that firepower that'll take them to the next level. Yeah, and and w- exactly with the fight, they're looking to add right now. Like when you're when you're trying to build a core, when you're trying to like build a foundation for your team, you pick someone like Penesel, you pick like a offensive lineman, a defensive lineman, a quarterback is the most obvious option. But you pick someone to kind of, you're not trying to round out a team, you're trying to build a foundation. A team like the Dolphins is not looking to round out or is not looking to build a foundation. They're they looking, have that foundation to, they have built. the foundation yeah. already. They're not going to go Penesul, I don't think. I think he's a fantastic prospect. I don't think they go with him, though. Yeah, I agree. I think they stick there. I think they get Chase or they get Pitts. I don't think I don't think that they're going to have Pitts or Chase available. Or, or they're not going to have both. They might have one or the other. They are not going to have both. I, I'd almost be willing to bet good money on that. I just, I don't know. I have a hunch that Miami's going to trade down. There's not really any good reason for it. I mean, we see it all the time. We don't hear trade rumors. Next thing you know, you see three trades in the top ten on draft night. It always happens. Or weird stuff happens in the first round. And that's the type of stuff I'm predicting. Well, Paul, I will say I'm glad we already got a, a draft hot take from Paul. I, I, I was waiting for it. <laughs> we usually get one every year. So... I actually want to ask this question specifically just for Paul because I think it'll be entertaining. Like, I don't even want to hear Ryan's answer, and I'm not going to give mine. What pick would make you the angriest at the Lions? Just the furious. What would you throw your remote across the room into the TV? What would what would make you furious? Realistically. Realistically. Yeah, out of the realistic picks, Justin Fields. <laughs> I would be so mad. If they draft a quarterback, and, and the, if they traded down, all the way to 16 or 19 and Justin Fields was still available and they selected him, I would still be furious if they draft a quarterback in the first round not named Trevor Lawrence or Zach Wilson, I would throw a hissy fit. All of a sudden, Justin Fields is my favorite Lions prospect. Oh my god, I, I'm rooting for this. Because I don't hate it that much. I think... You know, early in the dra- early in the process, I was thinking Micah Parsons would be my favorite pick. But if they... I think that's the realistic pick that I think I would get pretty I think mad Michael about. Parsons is my uh, worst case scenario yep. right now at yep. seven. Worst case scenario or uh, at seven, yeah. Like like Paul just said off, off the mic there, at seven, that would be horrible. I think you agree there, right, Paul? At seven, Micah Parsons is bad. I wouldn't draft Micah Parsons until I'd say the 13 to 16 range. Uh, preferably 19, you know, maybe trade down. I've got... I think it's Washington at 19. That's a great Micah Parsons range. I would be thrilled if they traded down that far and got one of the two premier linebackers. Um, I'll, I'll be completely honest uh, on Micah Parsons. I'm kind of at the point where I really I don't necessarily want the Lions to touch him. I don't love his coverage. I don't I, like I don't like some of the tape I watch from him. And he's still he's still slightly new to that off li- or off ball linebacker position. But the biggest thing for me is those character concerns that have shown up time and again. And some of them, I mean, there were nothing came out of them, but some of them are pretty serious and and very concerning. 
And at that point, it's just kind of like, I, I don't think a guy like Brad Holmes is going to be taking those risks anyways. But, but at that point, I would rather them, I guess, just value offline or off ball linebacker at, at, at a later pick and kind of let them or get a guy that can be a rotational guy and then maybe grow into a starter because, um, I mean, you can make the argument that um, off-ball linebacker is just not worth it necessarily in, I guess, not in the first round. But, like, you know, there there's a question of, of positional value there. And those two factors combined, I just think I, I don't want them to touch him. Well, and, and like I was saying earlier, um, the Lions are looking to build a foundation right now. And linebacker is just not a position you build a foundation upon. That's just not a position. Um, and Paul and I have talked ad nauseum about wanting to pick defense. Um, that's with the caveat that it's smart. I, I don't want them to go and reach for prospects just because they're defense. If you're staring a Jamar Chase in the face, you take Jamar Chase. You don't reach just because your defense sucks. Um, with a roster this barren, you have to reach out and you just have to get best available this draft, I think. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't touch defense in the first round unless they traded down to at least 13. There's really nobody in the top 10 defensive-wise that's worth it. Oh, and also, I have changed my mind about the Justin Fields comment. It's actually Devontae Smith oh. at 7. That would make me go absolutely insane. I don't want him to be touched at all on the top 20. He's the worst wide receiver in the top five in the draft. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But, oh, God, I'd be so mad. Wait, hold on. Are you saying worst as in, uh, like, skill, talent-wise? Or or kind of the factors of, like, the size and... I just don't think he's going to be all that successful. I think, I think he has a high ceiling. I think he has one of the highest ceilings out of the uh, core wide receivers in this draft. But he also has, like, one of the lowest floors. He could go in there and just be god-awful after two, three seasons. I'm actually kind of with Paul here. I hate I hate Devontae Smith as a prospect in the top. I, w- I won't be as bold. I think you said top 20. I would be happy if they traded back to, like, 17 and picked him. I'd be fine with that. But, man, uh, if they picked him in the top 10, I'd be, I'd be pretty annoyed. Um... I just, I just, I'm concerned about his size. Now, I think in the right, in the right position, Devontae Smith could absolutely, if they use him right. My concern is a team looks at him, drafts him, and uses him as just a an isolated receiver, and expects him to to succeed there. He won't succeed as just as just like a um, I, I I'll just go best in the league as an Antonio Brown as a Julio Jones. He's not going to succeed as that one on one guy. He's going to ex- like he's a great route runner. He, he can work in the slot amazingly. If you use him right, Devontae Smith can be a dangerous, dangerous weapon. I just... I think that's the type of pick you make if you're like the Dolphins, if you're rounding out a team. Uh, I, I don't know if he's dangerous enough to, to go ahead and snag when you have other needs. And what I'll say is I don't I don't necessarily like him at 7, kind of just because of where the, uh, the positional value I think that we can get there is based on some of the events that have transpired or that we're hearing about um i'm gonna push back on the uh 
the low floor uh, statement, and and part of that, I'm I'm going to use part uh, Alex comments as uh, I guess evidence for that because he uh, you talked about he is such a great route runner, and because of that, I don't think you can put his floor that low because if you can get open in the league, I mean, you you can you can be he'll be able to like make an impact the first year. Now the question is whether or not defenses are going to kind of like play to his weaknesses, you know, jam him at the line and like not let him stick him to the outside. Yes. But, but then, you know, I don't know. I think that he can, there have been receivers in the past that have been like, you know, you look at like a Deshaun Jackson and Devonte Smith isn't the type of burner that Deshaun Jackson is, but Deshaun Jackson also, I, I, I mean, I don't know. I think that uh, Deshaun Jackson isn't the same. They're, they're just not the same type of receiver. So, I don't know. I, I personally do like Devontae Smith as a trade-back option, but I would be comfortable taking him uh, 10 or later, honestly. That's me. That's, you know, that's just how I kind of feel about it because I just feel like he's a playmaker and he showed that at Alabama. But there are legitimate concerns, and you know, and I think – it's just going to kind of be those one of those wait-and-see things. So I think that actually brings up an interesting topic. We've been obsessing over, like, for for a podcast that I think we're all in agreement that we we would like to see the Lions trade down. I think we I think we would like that. We haven't talked a lot about who we would like to see. So, like, let's go around real quick. Who Who is your ideal trade-down pick? Um, I, ju- I guess just to kind of set this question up, um, are you thinking in, like, a specific pick range? Like what? Because you know, if you trade let's, back to like nine, you're not gonna have the same targets as a nineteen. You know. Let's go. Let's go a little bit more depth. Let's go like ten to ten to fifteen. We'll go in that range because because okay. you still have top end talent there, but you can also start reaching at positions there. Okay, I think uh, I think we should let Paul field this question first. <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, obviously, if somehow Pitts Sewell or chase are available which is like a 10 percent chance one of them will fall to 10 to 12 range if like five, oh that's not gonna happen buddy if five quarterbacks go it's possible <laughs> uh obviously you pick one of those but a patrick certain i would love to go corner uh micah parsons i at least 13 range 13 to 16 range i think 10 11's too early And then, um, like, even a Jamin Davis, preferably in the 16 to 19 range, that linebacker, that wouldn't be a bad pick. Paul, I was... I need one answer. <laughs> oh, you just want one answer? <laughs> but, I mean, we got so much... There's such a wide range, though. Are we 10 to pro- 15. Well, uh, that's not a specific pick. Oh, my 12. 12 specifically? If Sertain's available, pick him. If not, go Parsons. Jesus, I didn't know it was going to be that hard. I'm sorry, folks. Paul is just something else. Um, I, I do want to – I'm surprised Paul threw out the name Jamin Davis. I was not expecting that from Paul, but I loved that, Paul. I just wanted to give you some props for that. He went deep there. <laughs> I love that. I just didn't think he knew who that was. Um, So I think my – my 10 to 15 i'm looking at the list here i i like caleb farley i think that's decent um but man 
or Sean Slater or Christian Yarosaw. I'm leaning Slater. Slater. I don't know how, how you feel about that, but I'm leaning hardcore Slater there. I think he's the second best offensive line. I mean, I've seen Darisaw rise in a lot of rankings lately. I still think Slater's the best offensive line prospect here. And yeah, and that was going to be my my number one answer. But the thing is, I, I've been hearing more and more like, you know, some teams have Slater up there with Sewell. You know, they have kind no, of, or maybe that. like a 1A, 1B situation. And so if we're talking about 12 specifically i don't know if he's there i think if um if broncos stand pat at nine i do think he would be their their pick if if they don't get their choice of like a quarterback or something so i i think slater would be the ideal situation but in a in a like the scenario where let's say we're at 12 or just something right in that range um i think I, I, I like either of the Alabama receivers at that point. Um, I think, you know... I, I love Waddle there. Uh, Waddle 10 to 15. I, I like him significantly more than Devonta Smith. Yeah, and I'm I, I'm higher on Waddle because... Um, I guess because... I, I just think about his... Uh, his comparison to like a Tyreek Hill and I'm not expecting him to be a Tyreek Hill but he does he he kind of fits the bill you know that speedy small guy who can work out of the slot who can just turn any play into like he's just a playmaker you know he can turn really any play into a huge down the field touchdown and so yeah I do love Waddle in a trade back situation but I am almost just pretty close as high on Devontae Smith as well personally <laughs> i respect your opinion uh, because you you know you you've definitely been delving in the tape i i know you have and i know you like I, and that's fair i i just I, I don't know i don't know it's i hate to be a paul but i just don't feel like it's going to be a thing no i i could see Devonte smith at 41 with the second round pick but definitely <laughs> not in the first round jesus paul what Oh, you know, maybe we should just have like an episode where Paul just talks draft takes the entire time. God. Talks about what he thinks might happen <laughs> and like I, I don't I don't even know. God, but do you know what would happen? You know that saying where it's like 50 monkeys typing on a typewriter for eternity will eventually oh, yeah. write Shakespeare. <laughs> yeah. Paul will like magically get like he'll make like three predictions and one of them will be spot on. We're going to laugh it out of the room. He's going to be like, you know, I think Trevor Lawrence falls to three and we're going to start laughing. He's going to be like, it happens. All right. So let's transition to something we talked about a bit last week. Um, we talked about what positions a rookie might start in um, with the Lions offense. So now let's look at defense. Ryan, go ahead and kick us off. What what position you want to start with? All right. Um, I say let's just start from the front and work back. So okay. let's start at defensive tackle. Um, so I let's see. I know that they're um gonna be installing a new defense, and from what I know, I believe there's gonna be like a nose, essentially a, like a, a big defensive end who is who kind of like like a Trey Flowers type build who kind of like plays hand in the dirt and will move between like a three tech, a five tech and like an edge rusher. And then they're going to have um, like a stand up rusher. And then obviously packages are different, but those are kind of going to be the main, like, I guess, staples on that defense. 
And so in so you can pencil uh, Michael Brockers in at a starter, at one of the starting positions. You can pencil in Trey Flowers. Um, from there, you know, you look at the nose tackle, and right now on the roster we have John Penasini, who was a sixth-round draft pick from last year. And he's, he's exceeded expectations, but he still is a sixth-round rookie. So he's, you know, they could absolutely stand to uh, use an upgrade there. And if they go, there are a few, like, guys who could slot at that nose tackle that the Lions could target in the second round, in the third round. And so I could see definitely a scenario where you get one of those nose tackles and you get, if not a starter, a major rotational piece. But I, I would venture to say that they could get a starting nose tackle. Yeah, and that and that's the kind of position you could get, like, you don't have to spend like a necessarily like a super high draft pick. You right. don't have to and, go for yeah, and you John, can sneak them in the third or fourth. Yeah, and John Penasini, case in point right there, their sixth yep. round pick who who played a lot and granted they did have a lot of injuries. But, you know, they lost Danny Shelton, who was a guy who would have absolutely been a starter. You know, he played well and he was just a huge guy. And he was one of the cap casualties. So I I think that definitely opens up a path. Um my only thing is I I don't necessarily see them going. I don't know if they're going to value a nose tackle that that's, high. That's not the type of thing you get when you're building a foundational defense. Right. So, I mean, it would be picking a, a young nose tackle to like work with Michael Brockers. That would be awesome. But I, I think if that happens, it would be at a pick where they're not necessarily going to be able to find the, the talent that will be able to slot into that starting role. So I could see it happening, but I don't necessarily think that's going to happen at yeah. defensive tackle. Yeah, I, I'd agree with you just because, I mean, like, they they've just have so much other places to build. I don't know if necessarily they're going to worry about that position. I don't think that's going to be, like, a main focus of the boys this year. Yeah. All right, so let's let's talk about just kind of edge rushers a little bit. Um. If, if I'm being honest, this is the position I see least likely for a rookie to come in and start. And, and a big reason for that is kind of what I just talked about is I don't know if the Lions are going to are gonna value a guy high enough to where they could get a, like a starting level talent. Because they, they do actually have a lot of young guys at like Ed Rusher. You know, we have Julian Okwara. We haven't seen anything from him really yet. We have Romeo Okwara. Talked about Trey Flowers a little bit. I think he'll be more of like a... I think he'll honestly look more like a D lineman, like an interior D lineman who kind of uh, works the, I guess, interior pass rush. Um, And then you also have guys like Austin Bryant, who we haven't seen a whole lot of. You have, uh, they signed this guy, Charles Davis, I think. (laughs) He's a former first-round pick. Um, Point is, I think they have enough they have enough people at the position for one, and they have enough young guys that I really don't think they're going to um, necessarily target that unless they uh, kind of stumble into a great value pick where it's like, okay, this guy shouldn't be here. We can't pass this up. We got to pick him. Yeah, I was going to say, like, the, I think I think the only way uh, – the talent on defense is so weird this year, and I think that's especially true in um, in terms of edge rushers. Um, specifically, like the top edge rusher, like I'm looking at the top, it's Quiddy Pay, 
Yeah. And I, I just don't love him as a prospect in terms of, I don't know. And, and Quiddy Pay will be, he'll be the beneficiary of uh, not, like, you know, you don't have a Chase Young. You don't have a, uh, what's the guy's name? Guy on the Browns that. Miles Mason Garrett. Rudolph. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Miles Garrett. Um, you don't have one of those guys in this draft, so Quiddy Pay is probably going to, he's looking at like a mid-first round, uh, likely mid to late first round uh, draft position where normally I would say he's more of like a late first round, maybe early second round uh, Ed Rusher. Uh, yeah, I th- and and like Ojolari, I'm looking at it. Like there are a couple of guys I've seen that I've watched that I enjoy their tape, but again, like you said, it's going to have to fall on them for me yeah. to like the pick. I, I really do think it's unlikely for the Lions to really be in a position to pick one of those guys. Yeah, I doubt they're going to pick an edge rusher in this draft and even if they do it's not going to be into one of the later rounds yeah i was gonna say i I don't know if i would go as far to say they won't pick one but i do agree that i i could see them uh kind of just especially if they trade back and kind of uh re-up on their draft capital a little bit i could see them definitely kind of taking a flyer on a guy maybe a super athletic guy or like a niche type pass rusher where you can put him in positions where he can put pressure on a quarterback i guess yeah i mean i could see them get like five six bonus draft picks for some reason if they trade down a couple times especially in the early rounds just one or two spots then i get an edge rusher but with just i think it's six picks in this draft and all on the top five rounds i don't think they're going to be picking an edge rusher i don't think it's smart your obsession with them gathering like an immense load of picks is getting ridiculous, Paul. Well, that game I, I, has done wonders to your brain. I really do think you are going to be disappointed come draft time. If you expect more than one trade down, because even one trade down is in question. If you expect more than one, you're going to be a very, very sad boy come draft day. <laughs> there might be some tears in store for you because it is not going to end up like that. I'm sorry. That's just not how the chips are going to fall. I mean, I do want the Lions to have, like, 15 picks in the seventh round, but I know it's not going to happen. I just want it so badly. But see, at that point, like, you can you could just um, take a lot of flyers on a lot of undrafted free agents, you know what I mean? Because that way you're not having to, like, yeah, use this... draft capital, and, and you'll have, you know, I, I don't know. Paul, don't get me wrong. I, I do want to see them adding draft capital, and I do want to see them trading down. Maybe just, not 15 and 7th, though. I just don't think this is going to happen the way you expect it to, Paul. <laughs> when when we say acquire draft capital, we mean like, oh, seven, they trade back to 9 and get like a 3rd or a 2nd for next year. Not, not they trade down to 24 and get like 3 first-rounders, Paul. That's not gonna happen, Paul. I'm sorry. It's just not. I I don't want to be the one to break your heart, but man, like I said, I'm I'm genuinely concerned about the the effects this game has had on your brain. You don't think they could get a first rounder trading down the nine? I think they could, if it's to the right team. I think it's unlikely that they would uh, pick up a first rounder if they only go back two picks. I think they would really have to kind of. Uh, I think for even, like, a first-rounder to be, like, a, a real possibility, I think you would have to go uh, at least to 12 because then at 12 you're kind of getting to the um, to that next tier of, of yeah. players. And once, once you kind of eclipse that uh, second tier, then that's when you want to be, like, compensated for sacrificing one of those, like, top 
top tier players. Yeah. Well, one of the teams I pinpoint is the uh, Chargers. I think they can get a 13, a first, and like a fourth next year for that. I think maybe nine or ten is too optimistic for a first, but they could definitely get like a third, fifth, and a seventh. See if there if there's a team that's going to like overpay for our spot. I think actually you did as much as I'm goofing on you right now. I think you did pick the right team. Um, I think the Chargers, if they believe they're only a couple steps away from becoming like that next that like becoming a contending team, I wouldn't be surprised if they took a swing and said, "Hey, let's get our let's get our young star star quarterback either a weapon or protection." Yeah, I've I've definitely I've seen some reports. Yep. Um, it, it does make sense if Sewell's there. To reunite Sewell with Herbert, they played together it just at makes Oregon, sense. Um, and 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 uh, they ha- they also have. I know this from uh, using the draft simulator. They also have. Uh, I pick forty seven, I believe. So that's immediately right there. That's a sweetener. Even if you're not getting like a first round pick, you can get that. You could probably get like maybe. Th- I don't know that, and then like a second and or third rounder in the next year, which you know you're not coming away with the first rounder, but you're getting. You're that's just, a pretty good positional. That's good value, right? Because then, then you don't have to sacrifice. You know, you're getting like these two picks in the semi early second round, and then you're getting future capital. You still get that thirteenth overall pick. That's I think that's one that is definitely realistic could happen. Yeah, and if only three quarterbacks go, and the top six and we see we see there's just either Sewell Pitts or Chase available I don't think it'd be bad for the Lions to trade down especially if none of them are available somehow like that is possible it's not likely that none of them are available I think worst case scenario for the Lions here would be like would be uh, I mean Lawrence Wilson but then like Fields and like basically the only quarterback available is Mac Jones and like and Pitts. If they if they went like Fields and then Pitts gets picked and then you see uh yeah like Sewell and Chase that is That's because cool. then you have uh Mac or not Mac Jones I, Mac Jones would be available but you have Trey Lance and you know we don't really know how much these teams are valuing Trey Lance. we also don't know how much they're valuing Justin Fields but. Justin Fields, you know, we're all too quick to forget that um, beginning of the football season, it was like, oh, who's going to be the number one pick, Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence? Yeah, that was a real conversation like that we're having. Yeah. And I really, oh, man, I hate to, I hate to like, go against popular opinion. I, I don't love Zach Wilson at this point. Like, he's a good, he's a good prospect. I, you know, I, I'm not going to be someone who sits there and says that is so unreasonable that he's projected to say, it's for reason he has talent, but man, he just—I feel like he could be a big bust. Well, one of the things you wonder too is, you know, he is going to the Jets. That's what I'm saying. That, how big? <laughs> because and and I'm not I'm not one of those like you know I think if a quarterback has that natural talent, you can showcase it, and I think he is honestly more talented than Sam Darnold. But you know, it it really is so hard if 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 you can't. I don't know if you don't have a clean pocket, if you don't have receivers to throw to. Like the NFL is ruthless. Well, and and like if Sam Darnold, let's let's like look at Sam Darnold out of his draft year, like just like straight out of the draft, compared to like Zach Wilson, 
how much better of a prospect is Zach Wilson? I don't. I. I really. I'm really excited to see him in uh, in Carolina this year. I think that's going to be really fun because the the haters and the the blind supporters are going to get their proof right there. And we know that Paul loves Sam Darnold for whatever reason. I love Sam Darnold. <laughs> I mean, I think the Jets drafting Wilson at two it isn't a mistake. I think what they should have done was I love where this is going, Paul. They should have kept Darnold. Traded down, don't even draft a quarterback, aim for a wide receiver. Literally aim to get Jamar Chase at the 6th through 8 range. You could even trade down to San Francisco at 3. And then trade down again to like 6 or 8. And get the farm. And then get wide receiver. And Sam Darnold can finally showcase the talent he deserves. See, uh, the thing is, I think they moved off of Sam Darnold not because of um, talent. I think it's more to remove the stink of Adam Gase. I, I really think this is about just changing the culture. And I know that's such, such an overplayed thing to say in the NFL. But it's so important. It really is. I mean, they, yeah. They, and, and part of the thing is, you know, you see a new regime come in and they want to start over. They want to get their guy. They Sam want, Darnold yeah. wasn't their guy. No, nope. and and it's not to say that Sam Darnold doesn't maybe have something left in the tank. Maybe he's uh, has I don't know Pro Bowls ahead of him. Who knows? But like that that wasn't their guy, uh, and you know obviously he didn't have success. He didn't have any of the success uh, that he was supposed to in uh, in New York. So so part of that is just you know just kind of shipping off you know new new guys in. That's I think that's kind of how that situation played out. But let's be honest, was anybody in that draft a few years ago the Jets guy? I mean, they could have done a little better with a different quarterback, say Josh Allen, or maybe Baker Mayfield, but... Lamar Jackson. Yeah, Lamar Jackson, but... <laughs> he, he, he wasn't supposed to be drafted high. I actually just saw, um, I think uh, I think it was Phil, uh, Chris Sims or Phil Sims, one of those Chris guys. They was talking about how he had like Lamar Jackson as the number one overall. He said he was the best quarterback, and he got so much flack for it. And I just love to see a guy like go out and give like a Paul prediction and be right and just stand by it. Just like go out and say Lamar Jackson's the best quarterback in the draft and just stand by it and win. I agree, but on that note, I don't. I don't like Chris Sims with some of the things he... Some of his predictions are just... Sometimes it kind of feels like just to deviate from what is... And, and that's okay. Yeah. Like, that's part... But I think he takes it to a point where... Like, I, I saw this one report where he was talking about arm talent, and he had, like, freaking Ke- Kellen Mond over Trevor Lawrence. In terms are you kidding of, it, And it wasn't, it wasn't a quarterback prospect itself, but it was, like, arm talent. But even then, it's just, like... You're just trying to create conversation. Yeah, because because there has been almost, I don't want to say almost no conversation around Trevor Lawrence, but there really hasn't because there's been no question marks. You know, it's it's always been he's the best prospect. He's going to be picked up one number one overall. Like, what do you want to talk about? You I, talk I think, about how good he's going to be in the league, but that that's not what the draft Knicks want to talk about. No. They want to they wanna be right in their uh, predictions. And, uh, and we've just seen an increase in that lately. Like, they people have just been finding little things to nitpick in his game. Like, just little thing. Like, I saw a thing. They were reporting, he's bad under pressure. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So is every quarterback. <laughs> that was, the, that was like, 
Not to be Matthew Stafford defender real quick, but that was when people used to bring up the statistic, Stafford isn't good against teams above 500. Who is? Who is? Who? Especially they, when you're on a team that What are you is talking about? I consistently picking in the I hate time. that. It's they're trying to they're trying to manipulate your mind with these stupid statistics when they bring up Trevor Lawrence isn't good under pressure. Tom Brady under pressure last year he had something like 46% completion rating. Look at Patrick Mahomes, one of the best quarterbacks I, I think of our generation, a generational talent. Look at what happened to him under pressure in the Super Bowl. I hate this discussion. And I completely agree. Right now, they're just trying to pick apart Trevor Lawrence because they just they want something to talk about. And I can't stand. I can't stand. Uh, and I love the way Trevor Lawrence has handled it. I just want to say that. He's just been chill. He's been like, all right, I know I'm the top prospect. I'm just going to get married and chill. Like, I, I love the way he's taking this. I'm wearing my Jaguars hat today in solidarity for Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, no, if Trevor Lawrence doesn't go number one in some miraculous alternative universe right now, they should fire the GM immediately and Urban Meyer and just sell the team. He's already started giving to uh, charities in Jacksonville. <laughs> I saw that. I love that. I was so That's happy when I saw so that. I was great. like, is this even allowed? I love that, this so much. That is like the biggest dick energy I've ever <laughs> seen in my entire life. You're like, uh, just to not even be drafted by a team and you, and you don't even have the money yet. <laughs> you just go out and start. That's such a baller move. And it's like, it's hard for... It's hard for a, a number one overall prospect to get this kind of love, but I think the like the, the nitpickers of the draft and just annoying people are single-handedly making him one of the most lovable quarterbacks in the draft. So, He's just a likable guy. So we can all agree we're all rooting for Trevor Lawrence's success? Oh, absolutely. I, I yes, I I like the guy. I he was fun to watch in college as much as I hate Clemson. I mm-hmm. he's a fun guy to watch. Yeah. Paul? I like the Jaguars. I, I, I am rooting right. I am rooting for this franchise's success. Are you kidding me? Trevor Lawrence, James Robinson, DJ Chart, <laughs> Urban Meyer as head coach. There's yeah. nothing to root against. Paul here. loves I, the Jaguars for fantasy purposes. Yeah, the Jaguars <laughs> are going to be a fantastic team to watch next year. They're going to make a playoff run. They are going to go about ten and seven. They are going to win the AFC South. <laughs> how much how much of your love um for the Jaguars comes from Urban Meyer repeatedly owning Michigan. Does that have any part of it? A little. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. He loves Urban Meyer. We he should, loves we, it. We should have like a like a five minute segment every week where it's just Trevor time, where we just talk a little bit about what he's been doing. I feel like every week there's just news about him. Just something <laughs> cool he did. He just steps up. He's like, oh, all right, I'm gonna donate. I just love that so much. He's such a fun guy. He gets married, and he takes it on the chin, too. Like, people making fun of he looks kind of like a gazelle because he's got a weird face. <laughs> you know, it's just like that. He just takes it on the chin. I love the guy. I love him. And the fact that he just he knows he doesn't have a chip on his shoulder, and he just is like, all right, I'm yeah. I'm the best prospect. I'm going to the Jaguars. I, I love it. I hope, I hope he just goes out and just is like Andrew Luck and just, like, just proves everyone. Just like, yeah. And that is every single draft person's favorite comparison. Is Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck yep. to Trevor Lawrence. And it's it's a fair comparison. Don't yeah. get me wrong. Yeah. Um, I'd almost argue that Trevor Lawrence might be a better better talent than Andrew Luck was. I, I'm going to – Paul Paul looks angry right now, so I'm going to hand the mic to him. But 
Trevor Lawrence is going to win the Super Bowl from the next four years. <laughs> it's going to happen. Urban Meyer, it's, Trevor it's Lawrence. It's already Trevor time, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Paul is the conductor on the Trevor train. This this guy is going to be like MVP <laughs> candidate. Oh my god! This season. All right, take it's going to be insane. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's calm down, Paul. Um, but uh, I just want to say, uh, Paul, we're gonna drive down to Jacksonville sometime this year, right? We're gonna go. Yeah, okay. We're going to a game. Okay, I just wanted to make sure that was clear because I, I mean, it's Florida. I'm sure you don't. They probably have like three COVID restrictions. Like you can't cough openly on other people's faces. That's probably legitimately the only rule they have there right now. It's chaos. So I might feel a little unsafe, but it it would be worth it to just ride the Trevor train just to the end. I'm I'm so excited to watch him. I think we all should get Trevor Lawrence jerseys. Alright, I'm keeping the way the mic from Paul now. We're gonna move on from Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, let's save some of our excitement. <laughs> we have a long season ahead of us, Paul. Paul, I just want to ask him one more question. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> The Lions trade up and get Trevor Lawrence. What do you do? I'm buying a jersey immediately. I'm moving to Detroit, getting <laughs> season tickets. I'm predicting this team to win the Super Bowl. I I would be so happy with Brad Holmes. I like. I would never be happier with the Lions again. All right. I just had to ask that one question because I knew Paul would have just a fun response to it. All right. So. Let's move on to our roundtable, and we're kind of mixing in our roundtable with um, our, li- our draft talk, because that's been a majority of the episode. It's coming up this Thursday. We're excited for it, as you can tell. Um, some of us might be a little more excited than others about certain prospects at the top, but, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it a different time. <laughs> um, so let's just straight up official prediction for the Lions. Go ahead, Paul. They draft Jamar Chase at seven. After Lawrence, Wilson, Jones, Pitts, Panay Sewell, Etherfields, or Trey Lance at six. Miami's trading down. That's my prediction. Lions get Jamar Chase at seven. My prediction, Panay Sewell at seven. So the way this happens, number one. Trevor Lawrence, number two, Zach Wilson, number three, Mac Jones, number four, Justin Fields, number five, Kyle Pitts, number six, Jamar Chase, and that drops the best offensive line prospect in the draft and would go, if there wasn't such a run for quarterbacks, would go in the top three, Panay Sewell. Yep, um, so, so mine... Um, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say a trade back because of the uh, the news we kind of broke today with uh, Ian Rap. We didn't break, but we saw break. <laughs> we watched it unfold <laughs> on Twitter. Uh, so yeah, so I, I think um, I guess if I'm going uh, going through the list, I do think uh, Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson, and then I do think Matt Jones is gonna be the pick at three. I hope to God at least Kyle Pitts at four. At five, I see uh, Cincinnati reuniting Joe Burrow with Jamar Chase. Six, uh, Miami can't pass on Kyle Pitts. And then at seven, I mean, in this scenario, uh, Sewell is still available. But 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 they, they trade back because, because at this point, Sewell and Fields are available. 
and you have oh i didn't think about in yep. your scenario fields is still there yep so you have um, so that opens I, up technically i mean in this scenario trey lance is there too but but i i think i really do think that fields is fields and sewell are kind of the key to to a trade back and if they're there that opens up so many because yeah. then you you still have that chargers we were talking about earlier where they trade up and jump up and grab the the sewell you have this any team that wants a quarterback that i i love that 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 i didn't even think about that scenario honestly that's that's a fantastic yeah so so i think you know i i think honestly i think it'll come down to a trade back or sewell that's that's kind of but i i my official prediction right now is they're going to trade back i i don't they're gonna trade back with i don't know i i don't really have like it's it, th- those kind of things are so hard to nail down right it comes but, down to what the gm's feeling yeah so i think yeah i i i, I do see a trade back now so all right so ryan trade back paul jamar chase i'm going to Penny sewell so next sunday when we're going to be recording this we're going to be able to go over who the Lions drafted. We're going to go into each player in depth. We're going to talk about them. And again, the Lions are going to be the focus because they're I, the most. I think, honestly, I, should we commit to a just a draft breakdown? Yeah, honestly. Put, put all of our eggs in that basket. Yeah. Because, I don't know, if you're listening to a Detroit podcast on Sunday uh, right after the draft, um, what are you listening for? You are listening yeah, to your listening instant reactions, and and so yeah, I think we can commit to a, a, a draft breakdown podcast. So look look out for that on Sunday. All right. So thanks for listening. Like we said, next week draft recap. Check in next time.